Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Uh, as we start off this 2024 new year, uh, we are going to do a two-part series called Abundance. And this is important because after this, we're going to be studying the book of 1 Thessalonians because we really want to be a church that's rooted in Scripture and in the Bible. And that's what we want to be challenged by, not by a speaker, not by other things, but the Word of God. And so we're going to do a two-part series. And I think too often, many of us, we live our lives in scarcity rather than in abundance. And you'll see this all the time for many of us. We have this scarcity mindset rather than an abundance mindset. This is why I think we have to address this as we start off 2024. We want to have this mindset that's a full of an abundance. Understanding the heart of God. Understanding that he is a God who's generous. He is a God who overflows in his abundance into our lives. And therefore, we as his followers can not only receive that abundance, but now we can live in abundance in all that we do. So that's what we want to talk about today, this morning. If you remember, Jesus uh, made it very clear when he talked about, in the book of John, chapter 10, verse 10, he shared about what Satan does, and then he talks about what he came to do. So listen to what it says in John, chapter 10, verse 10. It says this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. This is what Satan does, and he loves to do this in people's lives. He did this for some of us this past year in 2023, and that's why some of us are struggling, because he loves to see God's children struggling and working through many of the tragedy or drama or trauma, whatever you go through in your life. But Jesus says this, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This is his promise to us that we can live our lives in abundance if we would take his word, believe in it, and be able to live by faith. That's why in this series, in abundance, we're going to break it up into two parts. Today, I want to talk about this idea of receive to give. You cannot give what you do not have. And that's why when you receive from God all the blessings and all the things that he gives unto us in his word, we are now able to be able to give to others. The second part next week, I want to talk about emptied to receive. So unless we are empty of ourselves, the things that guide us, the things that drive us, the things that cause us to oftentimes live for ourselves, unless we are emptied of ourselves, we're not going to be able to receive what God has for us. And the reason why this part two I want to focus in on is because we are going to start the one desire fast. And I want to make it very clear, and I want to be very explicit. I, I, I'm not going to assume not only that all of you are going to do it, but I'm not going to assume that all of you have the right heart and motive to do it. What I'm afraid of is when we do something like a whole church-wide fast, that it becomes very legalistic. And it's something that we do to try to earn something from God. We want to break that. That is not the motive. That is not the reason why we do that. That's why t- next week we're going to talk about this sense of emptying of ourselves so that we can receive whatever it is that God has for us. 
I know many of you are at a crossroads. Some of you are in the midst of making some major decisions that will change the trajectory of your life. Some of us are in a situation where we need a greater sense of dependence. Some of us are facing difficult things that we need the grace of God to have that fortitude and the strength to be able to live our lives for Him. And that's why when we start the fast next Sunday in sundown, we want to be able to be prepared in our minds, in our hearts, in our spirits, in our souls, so that when we enter into this fast, that it will be beneficial, that we're doing this corporately together as a church, so that there will be a sense of power, unity, and that our lives can be transformed and God will work in our church. So that's what we're going to cover for the next two weeks, today and next week. And so I want to just start off as you've hopefully turned to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I want to ask a question, and the question is simply this. Is generosity taught or caught? Think about that question for a moment. Do you think generosity is caught or taught? Guess what? You get to answer it with the person next to you. Will you quickly turn to them and tell them what you think? Is it caught or taught? Some of you are like, what does it mean by being caught? Before we get into a long discussion. All right. You, you can go ahead and give the sermon to the person next to you. I just simply asked to tell them if it's caught or taught, but... You guys are expounding. Okay, how many of you think it's caught? Raise your hand. How many of you think it's taught? Raise your hand. <laughs> how many of you are confused? Okay, these are honest people. I, I love you guys. This is awesome. You guys are so honest. Let me just say this. I believe it's both. Some of you like, profound, we're done now, let's go home. It's a little bit of both, and let me explain why. Because some of you in this room, your parents have never taught you about generosity. And because they haven't taught you, it is not something that becomes a value to you. Now, I'm going to bar, like, you experiencing the gospel and God changes your life. We're just simply saying in your upbringing, there are many of us in this room that have not been taught how to be generous. And the problem is that because your parents didn't teach you, not only did you not learn it, nor did you value it, and on the flip side of this, some of you grew up in a very impoverished situation. Some of you have been brought up in a family where money's everything. You've always been, in a sense, in a mindset of a scarcity. That you don't have enough. And we're always just scraping by week after week. Your parents might have taught you the opposite to say, don't give your money away. Don't, don't give your time or don't do this. You got to watch out for yourself. And for many of us, being brought up in that environment for 18 years before you went off to college, that has a huge impact more than you will know. That's why I believe it has to be taught. So if you didn't learn it at home, and in your household, your parents taught you the opposite of this biblical value, then you need to learn it. Because if you do not learn it, 
I'm telling you right now, as you start getting older, it's going to get harder. And that same mindset that your parents taught you, you're going to start teaching it to your kids. That's why it has to be taught, whether at home or in a discipleship relationship or even in a church. It has to be taught or we're not going to grow in generosity. I'm grateful that my parents, even though we grew up in a middle class home, that my parents always had the spirit of generosity. And therefore, it was something that was taught to me to learn how to be generous. Even though we might not fully have everything that we want at that moment, trusting God that he will provide. And I'm thankful for that. And that's a heritage. And I pray that some of us who are parents here, we will think about that. What is it that we're leaving behind for our children to carry on into their future families? Some of you who are not married yet, I I pray that you will learn this value before you get married. Because once you get married, the pressures of life gets harder. And so you have to be taught what it really means to be generous, not just with money, but with your time, with your energy, whatever it may be, that everything that we have, we're just stewards of God's ownership of us as he owns everything in life. I think even in the church, it's the same dynamics of being taught and also being caught. If you haven't experienced the generosity from the people in our church, uh, I just pray that God will somehow bless you in many ways. I mean, it starts from some of us just entering into our church. And you might be a part of a life group. And maybe one of your leaders meets up with you. And they want to bless you with coffee. They want to bless you with a meal. That's generosity. Now, some of us are taking it for granted because you're in Asia. You think every older person should buy, buy you and pay for everything. That's not the case. So what you are seeing is a demonstration of de- generosity that you have to catch. That doesn't mean you have to be a leader to be generous. But if you have been blessed, if someone has blessed you without the total secular view of paying it forward, but it's really learning how to, once you're blessed, you want to be a blessing to somebody else. Those are the things that you have to catch. When you think about some of those people who are examples and who have been walking with the Lord a little bit further than you, they sacrifice their time, they serve. They do so many different things. They give of themselves because they realize that their life is not their own. These are things that you watch and you see and you catch it. You catch the spirit behind it. You catch, you catch the heart behind that generosity or that generous spirit that they have. And that's why I think many of us in this room, you will either operate on a scarcity mindset or abundance mindset. Those of us who are not familiar with these terms, the scarcity mindset is simply operating on this feeling as if we don't have enough, that there's not enough resources. And this is why it causes us to be selfish. It causes us to be greedy. Whenever you meet someone with a scarcity mindset, they just do barely enough. They lack faith. They don't believe that God can work in spite of the situation. That's why they always operate on their own human strength and human self-sufficiency. You'll see it all the time. That's why you can spot out a scarcity mindset instantly once you spend some time with them and listen to them or see their lifestyle. 
A person with an abundance mindset operates from the feeling that there will always be enough resources and there will always be opportunities. Why? Because we serve a God who is abundant in everything. He owns everything. Therefore, we can trust him. Therefore, that person's life, when you look at their life, they have faith in the way they operate. I think simply the difference is one sees things as limited, which is a scarcity mindset, and the other sees things as unlimited, which is the abundance mindset, that our God is unlimited in all things because he is God and God alone. I want to show you this quick video of Franz de Waal, who is a primatologist who studies primates. He talked about the social behavior of these primates, and particularly in this one, he focuses, focuses on monkeys. And just to give you a little bit of background, he'll explain it, but I'm going to give you a little background. So what he does is that he experimented on these monkeys, and he wanted to see how they will perceive something as being fair or unfair. And so there's two monkeys in a cage, and then they do this little exercise, and they will be rewarded. And I want you to see, as he explains about this experiment, how the monkeys respond. And I think it's going to be very insightful. So let's watch this together. Amazing, isn't it? And in so many ways, I think we're just like that monkey. A lot of times we expect different things. And we have certain kind of expectations. And when we don't get what we want, we throw a fit. And what we have failed to understand and to see is that there is a principle that's involved. I know this is just an experiment, and it reveals a lot about animal nature, but I think there's some similarities as well as the human nature. When we see that everything we receive is from God, then you might not like certain things that he gives, but when you see that everything comes from God, not only do we learn how to grow in contentment, but we realize the things that we receive is not really ours to keep, but it's really ours to give for the cause of Christ. Today I want to talk about the life of abundance and how we can receive so that we can give to others. So let me give us the one thing. The one thing is simply this, that we give in faithfulness. When we give in faithfulness, we can expect fruitfulness. That when we give in faithfulness, faithfully giving, faithfully growing in our generosity, then we can expect fruitfulness in our lives. That is what an abundant lifestyle, abundant mindset is all about. So let me talk about two specific things as we look at this whole chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. The two things that we have to keep in mind when we give in faithfulness and then expecting fruitfulness, the first thing is this, we must give committedly. We have to be committed in our giving. Earlier, let me put some context to this chapter so you understand what's happening. You can just read it and it won't make much sense unless you understand the context. Earlier in Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, this is the second letter. If you look earlier to the first letter, Paul shares about a specific need or the need that some of the churches in Jerusalem had. And so what happened was that there was a challenge to all the other churches that were planted about the specific need that the church in Jerusalem had. 
And so the Corinthians, who were known as more of the wealthier church, the, the city Corinth had a lot of wealth, that church decided to pledge themselves to give some resources and an offering to the church in Jerusalem. That's why in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1 and 3, it says this. I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. Now, regarding your question about the money being collected for God's people in Jerusalem, you should follow the same procedure I gave to the churches in Galatia. On the first day of each week, you should put aside a portion of the money you have earned. Don't wait until I get there and then try to collect it all at once. When I come, I will write letters of recommendation for the messengers you choose to deliver your gifts to Jerusalem. So now you know what's happening. That there was a collection that was taken for the church in Jerusalem by many of these other churches because they realized that they were in need. And so Paul is trying to tell them, hey, we're going to come and collect that money so that we can give it to the church in Jerusalem. So don't be caught off guard. I'm just telling you, be prepared to give. Now in the second letter, Paul gives instructions of how this offering will be collected for the believers in Jerusalem. But the problem is that the Corinthian believers did not like the fact that they were being asked to give up resources for other people. See, this is, this is the irony of people's hearts. Initially, they were excited. Oh, okay, there's a need. Okay, we want to help out. But now, as it's time to collect, we see here they're like, you know what? We don't like the fact that you're, we're raising up funds for other people. And that is what we see that Paul addresses. That's why in chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians, which we will not read, but one chapter before, Apostle Paul gives a challenge about the importance of giving and how it is connected to your understanding of the gospel. In essence, what Paul is simply saying is this, if you genuinely understand the gospel, you will be a generous giver. Why? Because in the essence of the gospel, the core of the gospel, it is about God's generosity. That God so loved the world that he what? Come on, everyone say it. That he gave. Out of God's love for the world, for us, that he decided in his unlimited resources to give. What did he give? Did he just give just 100 Hong Kong dollars? No, he gave his best, which was his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to come to live the perfect life that you and I could not live, to die the death that we should have died on the cross that he gave his one and only son. So if you understand the gospel, in the core of the gospel, it is a heart of generosity. It is a heart of giving. And that's why he gives two specific examples to help us to understand why it's important. Now, we haven't even touched chapter 9 yet. I want you to understand why building this foundation and understanding before we read chapter 9 is so critical. What he's simply saying is, it is at the heart of the gospel, and he gives two illustrations in chapter 8 to awaken us to that fact. The first illustration that he gives is about the churches of Macedonia. Now, the unique thing about the churches of Macedonia is simply it entails churches like in Philippi, in Thessalonica, and also in Berea. And the thing is that in that region, Asia Minor, during that time, there was a severe persecution. There was a lot of suffering at that time. So what Paul was trying to allude to in chapter 8 was say, listen, there are people who are going through extreme difficulties and poverty, 
but they still are willing to give. So what Paul is doing, he's referencing to a group of people who should have no business giving because they don't have all the resources, but they gave anyways. Because what God is concerned about is the heart. And that's why Paul used the Macedonian churches to awaken the Corinthian believers. Look at these people who are suffering. They're going through difficult times. They're going through persecution. They don't have a lot of money, but they still gave. And they gave with abundant joy. They gave with the overflow of the heart of generosity. The second example that Paul gives in chapter 8 is not only the churches of Macedonia, but he gave Jesus Christ as the ultimate example. And this is powerful because Jesus is the example, the ultimate example of generosity. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, this is what Paul was saying in the earlier chapter to the people of Corinth. He says about Jesus, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. So what Paul was trying to argue for is look at Jesus. He had everything. He didn't have to come down to this earth and live amongst these sinful people, but he did. So he gave up all of that to come to this earth and became poor in the sense of living in a sin-filled world so that we could become rich, which is eternal life. He's the example. He's the person that we look to. I love the Amplified Version because it illuminates a little bit further of that verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. Listen to what it says. For you are recognizing more clearly the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, his astonishing kindness, his generosity, his gracious favor. Come on, let's say those three phrases together. Can we just say that? His astonishing kindness, his generosity, his gracious favor. That though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich, which is abundantly blessed. Paul reminds the Corinthian people, the believers there, that since they have already committed themselves to giving and supporting the church in Jerusalem, that they should finish what they started about a year ago. They had the willingness, the Corinthian believers, but they did not have the follow-through with action. Doesn't this describe us? A lot of us in this room, we have to be honest and we have to say, there's a lot of times we have good intentions. We, we verbally tell to people like, oh yeah, I'm going to do this. I'm going to try to read the word. I'm going to try to be more honest in, in the workplace. I'm going to try to be more disciplined. We, have, we all have good intentions, but we have no follow through. That's why there is no action. That's why there is no transformation. That's why we're not seeing changes in our lives because we talk big, but we don't follow through in our actions. That's exactly what the Corinthian believers were doing. We'll support that church. But then when it was time to collect, they said, why do we have to give? What is this all about? They have, forget, for, have they forgotten their commitment. This is when we come to chapter 9. And this is where we get to the meat of the principles of this abundance mindset that we need. Let's go ahead and we're going to read from verse 1 all the way to verse 5. Let me just read this for us. It says this. 
Now it is superfluous for us to write to you about the ministry of this for the saints. For I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has been stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers so that your boasting about that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready, as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we will be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift not as an exaction. Now, this is pretty interesting, the way the Apostle Paul addresses the people. We already know about the Apostle Paul's concern of these Corinthian believers that they haven't finished what they promised. The terms in which they say we will support this church in Jerusalem, they haven't been faithful. That's why even in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 11, we see how enthusiastically, he wanted to highlight how they were so enthusiastically willing to give. In fact, they were so excited to give that it stirred up the people in Macedonia to get excited. Wow, people in Corinth are going to give? Incredible, they must love us. We are one big family. But the thing is, they were not faithful in fulfilling their promise. This is why Paul says that he's sending Timothy and a few other brothers so that they can arrange the details of collecting the offering. Now, in verse 4 and 5, as we just read, the Apostle Paul is trying to prepare them so they can avoid embarrassment. Now, I want you to picture this. Can you imagine when they knock on the door? And it's like, uh, oh, hey, Titus. Hey, bro, what's up? Uh, we came here to collect the offering. Uh, that awkward moment of silence, like Paul wanted to make sure that they don't experience that. That's why he's writing this letter to prepare them that these people are going to be coming to collect the offering. Now, I want you to focus in on that last phrase or that sentence in verse 5. It says that it should be a willing gift, not as an exaction. Now, you might not understand what that phrase is about, so let me translate it into other translations or give you other translations so you can understand. And just read the yellow section with me, those little phrases. It says this in the NIV. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. The New King James Version says this, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. The Amplified Version says this, so that it will be ready not as something extorted or wrung out of you, but as voluntary and generous gift. The Living Bible says this, I want it to be a real good, a real gift and not look as if you were being given under pressure. Okay, that makes sense. It shouldn't be something we're like forced to or out of obligation or we're like pressured to do this. The last translation, the contemporary English version says this, now you will have the chance to give because you want to and not because you feel forced to. Can you imagine one Sunday? I, I want you to try to put this in context. 
Can you imagine in one Sunday we decided to do an offering? Or let's just say we didn't even mention anything about the Ripple Out campaign. You're like so excited. Oh, we got a building. And then you come into Sunday celebration. We don't even tell you that we're going to do an offering or anything. And then we say, we're going to take a pledge. Or maybe we could just say something like, oh, there's going to be an offering, a need for maybe if there's an earthquake situation or something that's going, we're going to take an offering. I will say this. Unless you have a heart of generosity, many of you in this room will feel either pressured, extorted, forced, out of obligation. You don't want to lose face because everyone next to you, the left and right in front of you, behind you are all giving. And so you are now giving, not because you are committed and willingly giving, but you are now giving in a grudgingly way. And this is the very thing that Apostle Paul is trying to address because this is not the heart of God. This is not the kind of giving that God delights in. Whenever we're forced to give or we do it very in an obligatory way or even if we feel as if in a grudging way, like we're just like upset. Oh, we have to give. And you give that way. That does not reflect the gospel. That is what Paul is trying to clearly communicate here. I mean, wouldn't you all feel forced, a little bit obligated, if we didn't tell you, hey, here's a need, this is what's going on, and some of us decide to give? I've told you this many times before, but we're trying to teach you how to give, how to be generous. That's why if I can encourage you, for some of you to take experiencing ministry. And from what I've been hearing from some of our leaders is that the many of the people who are serving are in the city ministry. So praise God for the city ministry people. Come on, let's give them a hand. Amen. And I love to talk to seniors who are about to graduate, you know, and be so excited. I'm out of here. I'm out of college. And then they're looking for a job and all of a sudden they start working. Look at their faces. They look like they're dead. They'll tell you how hard it is to transition from school to work. And I love it because that's what we need to go through. That's the only way we realize, wow, I've been living for myself. I realize now I'm accountable to a boss. I'm accountable to my colleagues. So it's good for you. We need that. But here's the thing. There are many of us who are college students where you think that this is your time, your space where you forget that you have more time than you know. Can I get a good amen, city ministry people? <laughs> I'm all. Like, they don't know me. They don't feel me. They feel you all right. They know you because they've been there. They realize that college days were the glory days where you do nothing and you try to study at the last minute and procrastinate and still get an A and go, oh, I'm so good. Wait until you start working and procrastinate at your project. You will get fired. You have a lot of time. Just look at your Netflix watch list. You have a lot of time. Look at how many hours. Some of you try to be so good about it. You have a limit, time limit. So the time limit shows up like, mm, it's like a speed bump. It doesn't slow you down. You push another button and boom, you could go on longer. 
you have a lot of time. You might not have a lot of resources in terms of money, but you have a lot of time. So if you're not faithful in giving of resources, money, whatever, and you're not even faithful in giving of your time, then I would say you really need to check your heart and see if you understand the gospel. Now I'm going to speak to those of you in the city ministry. Now you got some. And you know working a whole eight, nine, ten hours in a day, it is tiring. Forget about sports day and being physically challenged. (laughs) It is tiring. It's tiring. And the last thing you want to do is to serve. The last thing you want to do is spend your time on other people and other things. You just want me time. And I'm not against that. We need that. But it's all about you in that way. So in order to feel better about yourself, what do we do? We end up just giving. Now, Praise God. Keep on giving. But you understand that giving is not just your money, but it's giving of your time. That's why I'm so blessed for those of you who are in the city ministry who are serving in a ministry team. It's a blessing. It is to me. And that's what gets my heart pumping and want to keep on giving to you. That you... Though you can take that rest and just spend it on yourself because you had a whole day, but you are now saying, I'm going to serve because I want to bless other people because God has blessed me. When I was in college, God blessed me. Now as a single adult, I want to bless some of these college students. I want to bless some of these other people who are coming to our church who are new, who haven't experienced the transformation, who haven't experienced deeply the gospel message. That's why I want to encourage us. That really the person who understands the gospel, who is committed to Jesus Christ, it has to equate to a heart of generosity in everything. Your whole life, if people look at you, even though you don't have a lot of money, they got to feel the spirit of generosity on you because you're always thinking about others to give. That's why we keep on saying, do not come into Sunday into the Lord's house without some kind of offering. I mean, think about it. You go to other people's houses or apartments and you don't want to come empty-handed, so you bring fruits or you bring different things. That's the same. This is the Lord's house. And when we come in, we don't just come here nonchalant, but we're here to worship. And it's not just in song or hearing a message, but we're giving, worshiping through our giving. I want to challenge us. This is the challenge as we start off this new year, 2024, being faithful in our tithe, being faithful with our time. Being faithful with the talents that God has given us. To say, God, my whole life is yours. I want to live a life of abundance. And I want to be committed to that kind of giving. Because this is what you require of me. And a person who understands the gospel message. I was just thinking about this recently. And I was just thinking, how do I share this so people can understand? Because some of you are like, there's all the sighing and all this, like, why does that? If you're new today, I know that's the last thing you want to hear, but like I said before, it has to either be taught or caught. And I feel like it's my responsibility to be able to teach you biblically. So if you're new, I would say even though if you're going to get blessed by this message, then receive it. But this is more for people who are in our church. Think about all the things that you pay on a monthly basis. So I was thinking about rent phone bill, 
electricity. There's a lot of monthly things that you pay. And, and, and as, as I was thinking about this, I go, why is it that we have no problem giving that, but when it comes to the Lord's work, to be able to say, God, I give my offering of myself and everything that I have, my time, my treasures, and my talents, I give it to you. I'm just wondering, as we think about the situation, how about us this morning? Are you committed to the spiritual discipline of giving by faithfully tithing and faithfully fulfilling the Ripple Out campaign? As you guys know, we're around 60-some percent, almost 70 percent fulfilled. That means there's a whole bunch of people who haven't fulfilled their pledges, their promise, their commitment. I found out that some of you haven't even started. And that's why it's hard when everything's already here to be like, well, why do I need to fulfill it? Can I just say this? Honestly, if, if I could really be very blunt with you this morning, I'm going to speak to you as a pastor. We don't need your money. God will come out provide. What I care about is that you become a promise keeper. You need to develop this so that you could be faithful in your family. You could be faithful with a person when you say you're going to do something that you do it. That's a person of integrity. That's what I want to see in you. Now, I know some of you have been in a situation where things are difficult. Maybe you ran into a financial crisis or something. Then at least let some of these people and the stewardship team know so they understand that some of the people in our church are not able to give at this moment. But some of us who are just forgetful, some of us who make these promises and we don't fulfill it, I want to encourage you to be faithful to the end. Because that is a gospel-centered person who understands that God kept his promise to us. We want to keep his pro our promises to him. And may we have this committed heart when we give. Let me close out with the second point. The second point is this. Not only must we give committedly, but we must give cheerfully. That we must give cheerfully. In this next section, we will see that Apostle Paul gives some biblical principle for his generosity and giving. And then he gives some rationale or, or the whys behind it. There are two major things here that we notice. He first will talk about the benefits, and he's going to talk about the blessing. Let me first cover the benefit. Let's go ahead and read verse 6 through 11. This is what the Word of God says about learning how to give cheerfully. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seeds for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Let me try to unpackage this really quickly. In verse 6, Paul uses this agricultural language. It's a metaphor. What he's, it's this metaphor of sowing and then reaping. It comes directly from the agriculture. And when 
the point that he's trying to make is when you sow few seeds, you cannot expect a big harvest. That would be ridiculous. If you sow little seeds on your ground, on the land, you're going to probably get a little harvest. That's just the law of agriculture, the law in the material world. Paul uses this to help us to understand not only from the material world, not that is the same principle that operates in the spiritual world. What he's simply saying is that when we sow into God's cause, when we sow into the work of God, then the benefits that we reap will be dependent, and listen to me carefully, let me qualify this, I don't want this to be a works or prosperity gospel, so you need to listen to me carefully. What he's saying is that that same law of sowing and reaping applies to the spiritual realm, that when we sow into God's work and God's cause, that we will reap benefits that's beyond what we can obtain on our own. Now, the reason why I made that clear and I wanted to pause here for a moment, it is not a transactional thing. It's not about I give 1,000 Hong Kong dollars and God, you need to give me 1,000 blessings. It doesn't work that way. That is not what Paul is trying to teach. What he's trying to teach is this. When your heart is generous, then what God does is that your heart reflects his heart so that his heart is to bless. His heart is to be abundant. And therefore, when he looks upon your heart, he realizes because you don't hoard it, you don't keep it to yourself, you're not selfish, you're not greedy, that you will be entrusted with whatever it is that God will give and you will multiply it. That is the principle that God is trying to teach us here through the Apostle Paul. So think about it this way. To this day, I have not seen anybody, anybody. If you know somebody, you let me know. In all my years of being a Christian and all my years of pastoring, I have yet to see somebody who has a pure heart, a genuine motive to honor God, and with that heart, they give. And later on, they go, man, I regret that I gave. Now, people will regret that they gave if they had ulterior motives. They want position, power, they, wanna, they want certain things for themselves, and they're going to start b- getting bitter because I gave, I did all this stuff. But if they have a pure heart, a humble heart, and they know that it's not about them, it's not about their resources, God's resources, when they gave and blessed other people, I've yet to this day have seen anyone live in regret. In fact, they're always the one who is thankful. They're the ones who are the most blessed because they realize in their giving of their time, in their giving of their treasures, in their giving of their talents, they have seen people blessed through that and they are growing. And, and it's a powerful thing. That's why Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24 to 25 says this, give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others, will they themselves be refreshed. When you bless other people, I'm telling you right now, you yourself will be blessed. And then in verse 7, we are reminded of the importance of the heart and not the size of our gifts. He's always looking at the heart. We're always looking at the external. How much can I give? How much does that person give? God is always looking for people who will give with cheerfulness. Now, this is something you might not know, and this will help you. The word cheerful in the original language means hilarious. That God loves a hilarious giver. 
Now, have you ever heard or read or seen anything go LOL, ha, 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 like capital letters or that one emojis? Because you're laughing so hard, you're crying. Think about it. God loves a hilarious, joyful, cheerful, they cannot contain it type of giver. Why? Because it reflects his heart. That's who Jesus is. That's who God the Father is to us, that he is a cheerful, a generous, hilarious God who gives when we don't deserve anything. That's why the message translation translates that verse, God loves it when the giver delights in the giving, when you delight in it. The CEV says God loves people who what? Love to give. I will say this as a little insight. Now I'm a little bit older and I've learned over the years. Giving is very addictive. It's more addictive than cocaine, more addictive than pornography, video games, whatever you get addicted to. I'm telling you right now, giving is addictive. So be careful. One of the things that we love to do is Sometimes our family and just different ways we try to bless people. And the best part is when you give without them knowing. It's hilarious. That's why it's hilarious giving. There might be a person in need. Instead of kind of tooting our own horn, as the scripture tells us in Matthew, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Sometimes when you give without receiving any recognition, I'm telling you right now, it is hilarious. I'll tell you why it's hilarious. They come up to you and say, Pastor, like, I don't know what to say. Like, God is so good. Oh, really? Why? Because somehow I just found this money in an envelope in my bag or in my apartment. I don't know how it got there. I talked to my roommates. I asked them, and they said, no, you know, it wasn't them. And so here they are trying to figure out, like, that note, you know. It looks like a girl's writing. No, this is a guy's writing. You know, they're trying to figure it out. Who is this? Who gave? And they get so frustrated. This is why it's hilarious. They get so frustrated. They're trying to find out who is the one that gave to them so they could either thank them or whatever, give credit to them, but they don't know who it is. And so you know what they do? They finally throw up their hands and go, God, it must be you. God, thank you. And when you see that, you realize, wow, that's pretty funny. Because number one, it is God, but God moves someone's heart to then give to that person without knowing who it is so that no one receives credit here on earth but only God and God alone. Can I get a good amen to that? That's why it's hilarious. That's why it's addictive. As soon as you give and you see people getting blessed, as soon as you give and you see God's work advancing, as soon as you give and you see us reaching out to the many kids in Mango House, in orphanage, as you give your time, your energy, your resources, your money, and you see God's just move of his Holy Spirit and his grace just advancing and multiplying time and time again. And the church begins to grow, not just in number, but it grows in depth and it grows in understanding of the gospel. I'm telling you right now, it is so addictive that you want to keep on giving. 
Some of you have been so stingy with your time and with your resources that you don't really experience that joy and this cheerfulness and the hilarity of giving because you have always thought about the scarcity of what I don't have and what is for me rather than say, God, how can I experience this joy in giving? And by giving, it will be so addictive that I want to keep on blessing other people. I love it. It's the best. Sometimes I set in my mind today when I eat with this person, I'm going to bless them. And then sometimes they set in their mind that they're going to bless me. So we have this duel, you know, the Chinese duel. You know, who's going to pay for this bill? And oftentimes, sometimes I go, hey, bro, listen. I've decided in my heart, God, I want to bless you. And I look at them straight in the eye, and I'm very serious. This is when I, my eyebrows go in, my eyes get big, and I go, listen. I go, don't you steal my blessing. <laughs> and they're like, Sure, take the bill. How many of you experienced the joy of giving? How many of you have given faithfully in your tithes and you've seen our church grow so we can do more things because we have more resources? And you realize, wow, we're reaching more people. Wow, we're reaching people that we have never reached out to before because now we have more resources so we can do more things. We could buy, purchase more things and do other things that we haven't done. Right now you're like, wow, this looks like a pretty good place, but look at this. You see my face? Those of you on camera, you see my face? Kind of dark. I was telling these guys, this is the bare minimum. They go, you, you don't see it right here. We have, we have tape strips right here. <laughs> you know what these tape strips means? Pastor, don't go beyond that line. Because you're going to then get dark. I was telling these guys, we should, we should put this out a little bit, put more light, so that when we do show it on the video and other people see it, that it could be more clear. There are so many other things that we want to do, but once again, it's that addictiveness to the hilarity of giving, to say, God, you love a cheerful giver because this is your heart. I want to challenge some of us. Start somewhere. Every single week, just be faithful. Whatever the Lord placed in your heart, not, not grudgingly or out of obligation or forced to or extorted to, but do it with a cheerful heart because you realize this is God's heart. Luke chapter 6 verse 38 says, give and it will be given to you. Me good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Can you imagine? Think about it. This is what Jesus is teaching. Okay, you don't have to raise your hand. How many have some of those name, name brand water bottles? You know, don't raise your hand. Y-E-T-I. This little thing sticking out. I mean, like, I have to transform lives, transform people from the ministry. Okay. I go, this, is, this is good enough for me. <laughs> Can you imagine if your water bottle is about this big? I just came back from India. They have water bottles, I'm telling you right now, this tall and like this big. I felt like a water holic because I was taking like three or four of them. So I was asking some of the Indian brothers and I just said, it's so interesting. I've never seen a water bottle this small. 
And he, he was explaining, yeah, sometimes you know how warm, you have a water bottle, but you don't drink all of it, and some of it's left behind. You're being a bad steward. The water is scarce. So, oh, that's why you have these small little bottles. But I was thinking, what if you carry these small little bottles? Can you imagine? You're on the sports field. You're playing really hard. You're doing the Kairos circle as you're doing the sports field. And all of a sudden, you're so thirsty. Can you imagine? This is not going to quench your thirst. What Jesus was reminding us, the measure in which you give is the measure in which you will receive. Once again, it is not a prosperity gospel, but it's a principle of your heart. When your heart is generous and you are open to everything that God wants you to do, and you open your heart, and then out of that heart, you give generously. What he's trying to say is, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you. With your heart that is open that wide, that means your heart is this big that I could fill up this, that big of a heart. If your heart is this big because you're stingy or you're thinking about yourself, this is how much he's going to fill your life. And you wonder why God's not working. Open your heart. Trust in him. Be faithful in giving. Verse 8 and 9, Paul mentions that in giving, it connects us to God's grace. In verse 11, and 10 and 11, it reminds us that God will supply all our needs. And guess what? We're going to be enriched, and that will lead to thanksgiving. Let me, let me just finish the benefits and then blessings. In verse 12 through 15, it says this. This is the close here. For the ministry of the service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it is also overflowing into many thanksgiving to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of the submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. What we see here is that not only do, ha do we have benefits when it comes to giving, but there will be blessings in your life. We realize that giving is not only about meeting other people's needs, even though that's part of it. But more importantly, it produces thanksgiving and a heart of gratitude. Are some of you struggling with having a thankful heart and a grateful heart? I'm wondering if it's because you have not given your heart and your life to God. You also see that when we give generously, people will glorify God because of his faithfulness to them. Kind of like the story that I'm telling you, it's a hilarity type of giving where they're trying to figure out what's going on, but they realize it must be God. God is the one who loves me. God is the one who's helping me. God is the one who's answering my prayer. This is why I think it's so important when you think about this, that giving is not just about what you receive, but giving is also about blessings so that people can give glory and honor to God. That is what he closes out with, and he points it back to whom? Jesus Christ. He says, praise be to God for his inexpressible gift. What is that inexpressible gift? That's Jesus and eternal life. That is the reason. We are able to be people of abundance because God himself gave us the best gift in the whole wide world. And I just want to have someone testify and give glory to God. I'm going to invite Rebecca Lynn to come on up. Where is she? Come on, let's give her a hand if she comes up. Come on up, Rebecca.
I didn't know about this, but just some of our leaders were just sharing something that God did in her life. And I just said, wow, that's a great testimony. I, I want her to share it. Those of you who might not know, uh, I led a, a life group with a couple other people uh, at HKU. This was how many? Five years ago? Six years ago? Around there. And so she was one of our first members. And praise God for that. Though we were small, now we're growing in HKU. But she was one of our first members. And just seeing her grow over the years has been such a blessing. So I'm just going to give her a couple minutes just to share the ways God, God spoke to her about some of these principles when it comes to giving. Go ahead, Rebecca. Hi, church. My name is Rebecca, and I'm from the 100 Degrees Christ Life Group. Uh, today, I want to share a testimony about how God taught me to have a heart of generosity by showing me his immense generosity in my life. Uh, growing up, I always associated financial resources with a secure life. I would try to save as, as much as I could, um, even to the point of being stingy, so that I would have enough money for my future. This gave the self-sufficient me a sense of being in control of how my life would turn out. Uh, as I continued to grow in my relationship with God throughout the years, he did slowly transform my poverty mindset and teach me to be more generous, especially towards other people. But deep in my heart, there was still that desire to build a stable life based on financial security. So when I heard about the Ripple Out campaign for our Transformation Center and making a pledge, my initial thought was to give an amount that I considered to be quite a lot, but was still in my comfort zone. Um, and most importantly, it allowed me to feel like I was still in control of my life. Uh, yet somehow, I couldn't find peace. As I was wrestling with these thoughts, God reminded me how everything I now have is actually a blessing from him. Uh, my job, a place to live, daily food to eat, my family and friends, a, a supportive community. He gave me all these things, not because I earned them, but purely out of his generosity. Um, and it's because of his generosity in my life that I now have the privilege to give generously as well. So in the end, God convicted me to pledge double the amount of what I initially planned. And I think for me, I was simply giving God what was his all this time. Um, but even with this conviction, I still found it hard to give cheerfully and fully surrender. Uh, I tried to compromise with God, like, hey, God, how about I give you my pledge in a few months after I made more money so that my bank account will still look the same? Uh, and once again, God challenged me to take a step of faith and give the entire amount because he has never held back his generosity in my life either. Uh, to my surprise, I found myself being really at peace and even joyful after giving because I know it's God and not the number in my bank account that's taking care of me for the rest of my life. And even bigger praise is that as I shared about my conviction with my family and colleagues, God used my story to encourage them to give to the campaign as well, And they, even though they don't come to our church. Um, beyond God's generosity, I learned so much about his faithfulness as well. Um, as his love and generosity, which never run out, overflow into my life, I want to continue to bless other people um, without fear and reservation as well. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Rebecca. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Man, there's so many stories like that that I wish we could highlight. 
And I'm just really asking God to produce these types of people in our church. Because there's so many needs around us. Let me, uh, can I? Let me close out with some next steps and then we'll pray together. First thing is this, and these are just suggestions. These are some things that you could process through. First of all, is be faithful in your giving. We're going we're gonna to miss things here and there, but the best of, of, of your ability as God anoints you. You know what I've been telling people? The same muscle that is required to study and be diligent is the same muscle to have your soap every single day. And that same muscle is the same muscle that will help you to give faithfully every single week. And some of you are like, why do we do all this stuff? I'm telling you right now, it's the same muscle you're going to need when you become a father or a mother to be faithful every single day with your kids. Like, this is what we want to build up. We want to build up people who will transform the world. And if you can't do it with something simple as this, that's clearly from Scripture, it's going to get very hard to do it with other things in your life. So be faithful. If some of you have not been faithfully tithing and giving, make a commitment 2024 to do that. If you haven't fulfilled your Ripple Out campaign, be a promise keeper. Be a person of integrity. Fulfill it. Like I said, we're not trying to pressure you or coerce you. We're trying to make you a sense of obligation, but we want to help you so that you will grow in generosity and an abundance mindset. Be faithful in your giving. The second thing is be focused on God's goodness. The more you focus on yourself, the needs around you, like what I don't have, you're looking at the cup half empty. Focus on the goodness of God, how good he has been to you, how he has been faithful to you, how he has never withheld the thing that you need. Maybe the things that you want he hasn't given, but the very thing that you need he has always provided, our daily bread. So focus on the right thing. Focus on the goodness of God. That will stir up your heart to say, God has been good. Just like you heard in testimony, God has never failed Rebecca. God has always provided for her. And that's why she's able to step out and say it. I want to challenge us to focus on the right thing, focus on the goodness of God. The third and last thing is this, be fervent in prayer for provision. Once again, sometimes God teaches us to be dependent on him. That's why he doesn't give us all the things that we want at that time. He wants to teach us how to pray, to be fervent and trusting in him. Pray, believe by faith. It doesn't mean that he's going to answer the way you want it to, because that might not be the will of God. Some of you are praying, Lord, make this happen, but then it doesn't. And through that process, he shapes your heart. You realize it's not my will, Lord, but your will be done. So you could surrender and trust in him fully. As we look ahead to 2024, let's make this commitment that we want to be able to do all that God has called us to do. And let's start with this abundance mindset to say, God, you have given your best. That's why this is the gospel for us. In Romans chapter 8, isn't that what he says? If God, who did not withhold anything from us, but he gave us his one and only son, the best gift, why would he not give us all things? 
That's a promise from Scripture. If he has given us his best, everything else is second, third. It's not a problem for him. Do you believe that? Do you trust in God for that? That's why when the gospel takes a hold of your heart, that God has given us everything for life, for eternal life, for things in this world that I can live, trust in him, then he will do everything possible to allow his word and his will be done in our lives. Let's have that kind of faith. Let's trust. Let's open our hearts. Let him work in us so that we could be generous in all that we do. So let's stand together as we pray. I'm going to ask us at this moment, just as you're standing, just with your heads bowed, with your eyes closed, I'm going to invite us to do another thing. Can we just open our, both of our hands right just before in front of us? The tighter that you hold to the things of this world, the less you're going to be able to hold on to the things that God wants to bless us with. We hold everything loosely. Our family, our job, our future. You hold everything loosely. If you don't, if you don't understand that, look at the news and how some people in a, in a split second loses everything. Hold everything loosely with open hearts, open hands. Allow God to place things right in front of you that let him bless you with. And then once you have it, it's not yours to hold. You're just a, a steward. You are, you, we're a distribution center. We, we receive and then we give. And once your hands are empty, he's going to give us more. And we give it away. And he's going to give us more. That is a truth. The law of sowing and reaping. I don't know, I just feel like some of your lives have been barren. Spiritually, maybe emotionally, maybe there's other stuff going on in your life. You are living in a desert. And so your selfishness, your greed, living for yourself has literally choked out any life, spiritual life. That's what idols do to us. It kills us. Because they promise so much, but they deliver on so little. Those are the false gods. And maybe what we need this morning as we start off, as we're already a couple weeks into 2024, is just have an open heart, open hands to say, God, I give my life. Make my life fruitful again. I want to lie down in green pastures. Lie beside still waters. As you are my shepherd. That will lead me, guide me, feed me. It is you that I trust. It's you that I love. We cannot find this in anyone else or anything else other than Jesus Christ. So just with open hearts, open hands right now. Can I ask us just for one minute. I want you to pray. I want you to pray for the heart. Your heart that it will be. Not only open, but God will shape it. Because some of these things are taught. But also some of these things are taught, are caught. And so teach me. Help me to catch spirit of generosity. I want to be a generous person to be a blessing to the world around me. Can we just lift up a short prayer just for one minute? I want you to pray that prayer before God in faith. And believe that he will work in your life this morning. Let's pray together. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.